0: This is Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create positive change in the world every day by being a conscious consumer. I'm your host, Laura Alexander Wittig, founder of Brightly.eco. And I started this podcast a few years ago because I wanted a place to talk about the gray areas around sustainability and how being a conscious consumer can be challenging and confusing but it's totally doable. So join me in the name of reducing waste and living positively in the name of the planet. Hey Good Together listeners. I am so excited to just kick things off on a brand new series um, that I have been sort of just thinking about in my brain for quite a while. Um, and it's because it's something that I know I'm gonna find very useful, but I know you're gonna find really useful too. And so, you know, you know personally if you've been listening to this podcast that I am very, very passionate about reducing food waste. And so this new series is gonna be all about recipes and figuring out how we can, you know, maybe jazz up existing recipes that we have to seem exciting and new, or maybe we're going to um, think even more about creative reuse as we think about ingredients. Um, But from my perspective, I have had this one recipe on repeat in my home lately, and it's kind of falling in (laughs) that first category that I talked about feta fried eggs. We're going to talk all about this recipe. Um, But here with us today is Grace Elkis and she is the creator of the recipe. So (laughs) for me, it's like, um, oh, it's like a, it's like a star struck encounter, Grace. Uh, But welcome. And I wonder if you can just give us a brief intro of yourself and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll just start chatting.
1: Sure. Well, I am so honored to be here and so grateful that you asked me to be on for this series. And it would be more fun if I could cook you the egg. Um, <laughs> yes, it together, would be. <laughs> but we'll just have to both go and eat one after this. Um, but so yes, yeah, so my name is Grace. Uh, my background, <clears throat> my background's in magazine journalism. So I've worked on the food team for a variety of of food publications Um, but more recently I've been freelancing for a variety of media outlets and brands which means every day is a little different which is why I like it so some days I'll be testing out a bunch of kitchen appliances other days I'll be interviewing people about the best way to store a watermelon Um, so I'm always learning um, and I'm always experimenting which is you know what makes it so fun.
0: Yeah that's awesome and so I wonder if you you know as you think about your test kitchen and sort of like how all of that came to be, sounds like it was, you know, for work and then, you know, kind of turned into a passion project, but tell me a little bit more about like how you decided to start taking that passion and putting it on social media. Cause I always like, I personally love to cook um, and I am amazed at like the quality of food content out there. And I'm always like, how do people do this? Like what, what got you started? And like, what's your setup? I'm like, so curious about this. Oh,
1: that's such a good question. And it's so funny, because I'm always tweaking it. And I'm always baffled about the lack, or at least I've found the lack of resources out there. Someone saying this is exactly how I set up to fill my reels or whatnot, because I would find that useful. I'm just totally winging it and trying new things all the time. But because yes, I see all of this amazing content. I'm like, did everyone just teach themselves how to do this? I know, Um, it's crazy. (laughs) It's just like
0: the amount of talent out there and like just people who are right. like I'm
1: like we've all just been living our lives and but really we
0: oh my god that. I know
1: <laughs> um but it's just it's wild to think uh, about my journey kind of in front of the camera behind the camera because back when I worked at Real Simple that was the the days of Facebook Live. And so I remember the yeah. first time we were going live on Facebook. And so I've kind of seen it through. I've done longer form YouTube videos when I was at the kitchen and then the the really quick snappy stuff, even on Instagram live. Um and And really when I was, I first kind of learned how to put together and edit my own videos when I was working for this quick delivery grocery startup uh, in New York called Joker. And it was super scrappy. It was my first time working for a startup, which of course means you're kind of a jack of all trades and you're getting your hand in everything. Uh, So I worked really closely with the social media manager on both kind of filming our content I got to work with so many amazing food brands on creative ways to showcase their product for the app and one of those was filming recipe reels that we would post on our social channels so I started playing around I downloaded I use an app called InShot to do all my editing and then I'll finish editing it within Instagram or TikTok um I've used a few different um, kind of setups and tripods in my kitchen. I had one that clamped onto my counter, but I found I was worried I was gonna like ruin my counter with that one. It was kind of cheap, so now I use <laughs> a tripod that just is—it's is, really big, but it has a whole arm that swivels, so I can I can go from the stove back to my window to get the natural light and finish the plating shot. Um, But really why I started posting on my own channels was I found that as a freelancer, the video content was what more and more of my clients were asking for. So I just got a lot of practice with it. And I thought, you know, if I'm creating all of this work for my clients, you know, I'd love to be doing it for myself too. And, uh, you know, having been in a more traditional full-time recipe director role, it's kind of been fun posting my like, you know, for my own channels, and I get to kind of make up the rules. So I'm like, you know, is anyone really measuring a fourth teaspoon of black pepper, I'm just gonna say, you know, several grinds, and I kind of just have get to be a little looser with it, which I like.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I also imagine like having, um, you know, more eyeballs on your content, et cetera, is also good for your profession. I mean, like, just like you probably have gotten I mean, I'm sure after this, re- the the faded feta egg uh, recipe, you got quite quite a lot of inquiries for um, you know new freelance jobs, right? Absolutely,
1: and I'm currently in the process of sort of transitioning from the freelance gigs I was doing before to making more of my money through my social platforms. So my next big step is relaunching my website, and whereas now that's more of a portfolio showing off the different outlets I've written for, I'm going to be using it as a place to house my own original recipes and things like that. So I'm really excited to sort of be leaning into this. And it's definitely all spurred by the feta fried eggs. So I'm very grateful.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Okay, so let's just talk about this. So we, um, we put together some notes about this a while back. And so I'm sure this number has gone up A lot since then but back when we first uh, started thinking about this episode the viral feta fried eggs recipe had more than 46 million views which is insane and like that doesn't (laughs) even count the number of times you've kind of like reposted it or like done sort of a different iteration so like let's just talk about it like what is this dish how did you even think about it and like yeah like what what's the story behind it sure so
1: the feta fried egg is exactly what it sounds like. It's an egg <laughs> fried in feta cheese. Um, and it's a riff on a recipe that I really like from a recipe developer named Ali Slagle, who has this great cookbook called I Dream of Dinner. And she also, she has started a newsletter. She has some awesome recipes uh, published on the New York Times. And all of her recipes are very smart and minimal ingredients, very accessible. And she also includes a lot of substitutions uh, to use what you have, which I love. Uh, And her recipe involves cooking an egg on top of a pile of shredded potato and cheddar cheese, and then you eat that in a taco. So I was doing that when we didn't have a ton of Time to make a bigger dinner, or I hadn't done a full grocery shop that week, because you know, okay, I'm like, okay, I have cheddar cheese, I have an egg, I have a potato, I have a tortilla, great, we have an easy dinner, it's filling. Uh, but when I needed a quick lunch or I didn't have a potato or I didn't feel like doing that extra step, I started just cracking an egg into some cheese in the skillet, and I just was sort of experimenting with different cheeses, and i I don't honestly even remember why I tried feta if it was the only thing I had or if I was was going I definitely wasn't going for some viral hit in that moment but um I was like you know let's just see what happens when I put feta in the pan and it just crisped into this incredible crunchy golden brown cheese crisp yeah and And uh, it, you know, it tasted amazing because feta is briny and tangy and salty as it is, which is why this recipe is so great. You don't need very many ingredients because they're each doing so much. Um, Yeah, yeah, exactly. Basically, you put the feta in the pan, you let it kind of sizzle for a second, you crack an egg into the middle, uh, you I cover the pan, which I think helps kind of set the white um while you can and then you can cook it for as long as you want in in terms of if you want your yolk runny which I like and then slide it on a tortilla I normally put some avocado on the tortilla and then the yolk breaks as you eat it so it's got some It's very simple
0: it's so good and you know the thing that I find really interesting about this recipe other than the fact that it's extremely simple and like just has so much flavor, um, is that it contains feta cheese because listeners, you're probably also familiar with the viral feta pasta, uh, recipe that went, you know, crazy, I guess last year really on, on TikTok. Um, and that's, you know, also in a situation where feta cheese kind of just becomes this, like something completely different than you actually are expecting it to. Um, and that recipe is easy. And that's kind of what, when I saw this, that's actually, I think what prompted me to try it just because I, my husband and I love that feta pasta recipe. We make it constantly and I'm always blown away at, yeah, I guess the complexity of the feta really just takes a dish that's pretty easy to make and just really, really, um, up levels it. So yes, I saw, I saw this recipe. I saw your fried egg recipe. I was like, I'm going to try it. Um, I did the same thing. I put, um, I happen to have an avocado, which for some reason, like I, I love avocados. I grew up in Texas, like pretty much ate them every day. And lately it's like, yeah. I don't know if it's just inflation or whatever. I just feel like they're so expensive. And I'm like, uh, just cutting back my avocado habits, but I did a half, I did have one so I put <laughs> put an avocado on that tortilla, um, put slid the egg in there. And then I drizzled some chili oil on top. Um, and it was yes. just amazing. And I was just like, this is so good. It, for me, it was like another one of those moments, like when I first tried the um, TikTok uh, feta, feta pasta recipe, same thing. I was like kind of blown away and same thing, thing here. So I just, you know, for me, it's it's it's, it's a great idea. And even though, and you, you mentioned this earlier, um, even though we're talking about this on a tortilla, you could really just put it on a bunch of different bases, right? And I, I would imagine like whatever you have to be used up, you just throw that egg on top, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. And some people, because the feta gets so crispy, are like, I just fold that and eat it just the feta as the base. So that works too. But I put it on pasta. Uh, I have a friend that always puts it on cauliflower rice. Uh, I did one where I put it on a pita. A lot of people like it on a pita with hummus. Uh, So truly, you could, you know, if you have like a leftover hamburger bun that's going stale like it's truly a really great way to use up whatever you have and the same goes for the condiments like you said you used chili crisp or chili oil you can add some pesto in so it's like whatever jars you need to use up the end of yeah I just pro- I promise you it will taste good just go
0: for <laughs> it <laughs> I love it yeah no I, I think it makes so much sense and um you know for from my perspective I've also been like strangely um I don't want to say like addicted, but like really like hyper fixated on uh, pre made hash browns lately. Like Trader Joe's has them, like the hash brown patties um, that are yes. frozen. Trader Joe's has them, and they're amazing. But if you don't have a Trader Joe's by you, um, you can usually find them in. I found some in like a Kroger, uh, Fred Meyer by me, and like those are really easy to make. You just like literally put those in the air fryer for a few minutes. Those get nice and crispy, and that actually ends up being a pretty good. I mean. Not that it's the most healthy thing in the world because it is like a fried potato, but it does, you know, certainly fill you up and you're getting protein from the egg, etc. I found that to be a fabulous way to um eat this recipe. So now I'm it's hungry. Really, yeah. It's I'm it's like, amazing. I'm gonna go make this. <laughs> yeah. Right. And the, the
1: great thing is you probably have all the ingredients. So that's the best
0: part. Yeah, exactly. And that's you're right. That's the other thing I like about this. Like, um, you know, the version with the uh hash brown, like I just talked about doesn't really necessitate an avocado. So I don't have an avocado on hand, then I just do that. Um, but I think one of the things that's really important to me, as I think about food waste is, we we talk about this a lot on the podcast, but meal planning is so essential to help cut down on food waste. And nobody really has time for meal planning. And I think that is just it's such a missed opportunity when we think about the amount of resources, um, you know, both, you know, Human energy related, all the resources that go into providing fresh produce. Um, it's just a shame if you can't use everything up. And so, my you know solution in the past has been meal planning. Well, I have a toddler now, super busy um, with with my you know various businesses, etc. So, I, what one thing that I have found to be a nice substitute for meal planning if I don't really have time to sit down and do it, is just having a repertoire of. Uh, recipes that I go to on a regular basis and making sure that number one, those recipes all have like sort of common ingredients. um, And number two, that I keep those ingredients stocked so that like, if I'm over here, like, oh gosh, I need a quick breakfast. Like my family, my toddler literally eats three eggs every morning. I don't know how she does it. It does. She doesn't care how the (laughs) eggs are, are prepared. Like she'll eat scrambled. She'll eat fried. Like she's just like obsessed with eggs. So we like literally always have a ton of eggs on hand. I actually like seriously am thinking about getting chickens <laughs> because I I would just need so say, many eggs.
1: <laughs> Have it in this economy, so, Yes, it like, is. is makes
0: sense. Yes, it is. But um, I, toddlers are so picky, change. right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <right. laughs> yeah. Take what you can get. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, <laughs>
1: No, totally. I mean, one of the things that's, yeah, like you were saying, great about the recipe. It's not just about what it uses, but it's about what it doesn't use. It encourages people to put together ingredients that they likely keep on hand, but maybe haven't paired together in the past. So, you know, it saves you from looking in your fridge and saying... I have nothing to eat. And instead saying, Oh, well now I know how to kind of combine these things um, and and can save you from making another grocery run or ordering delivery when you're encouraged to be a little bit more creative with the stuff you already keep on hand. Like you're saying those staples.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I think, uh, you know, just, just being able to like, yeah, look at things a little bit more holistically and not like, yeah, let's just like not freak ourselves out about stuff. Like we don't have to be the best at reducing food waste. But if we're just a little bit more mindful, I think it can be really empowering. And, um, my family and I, like we, we do try and like, uh, reuse things as much as possible and, you know, make sure that we're being as, um, eco-friendly as we can in that respect. Um, but I'm curious to know too, Grace, I mean, like, I know we're obsessed with this recipe and I'm sure we'll probably come up with some more recipe ideas for the team, uh, for the, excuse me, for the, uh, audience in the future. But I'm wondering, like, because of your background, you have so much experience with recipe creation and just, you know, like general, like food tips and tricks. Um, I'm curious to know, like, do you have advice for people on like, you know, creating these types of um, sort of go-to recipes and and getting them into their repertoire, maybe advice for people to, um, for for, uh, where people can look to find some of these?
1: Sure. So two things come to mind. One is if you're thinking about recipes that you really love, there's probably a formula or a reason you love them. There's mm-hmm. certain elements that are working together to create something about it, whether it's the textures, the flavors, probably both. Um, and, and and honestly, sometimes it comes down to you're, you're planning on making something and you don't quite have everything you need. And instead of throwing that idea out the window, just starting to think a little bit more about what the purpose of each ingredient is and what you might be able to swap in. So, I mean, I can't even tell you how many times the recipe calls for mayo or sour cream and I'm using Greek yogurt. Yeah. Or I, all the time, I don't eat chicken, but I eat tofu. So, but I'm like that chicken recipe sounds so good. I'll just use tofu instead, or I'll use a shallot instead of a red onion. So when you start to think about, okay, so this was providing acid. So I just need, you know, something I need, I can use lemon juice instead of vinegar something like that. And, okay, this was providing crunch. Let me use a toasted pumpkin seed instead of a breadcrumb. And and then that might encourage you to – you might find a whole new recipe you like just kind of by accident. Um, And then also I love the resource Eat Your Books. I don't know if you're familiar with that. No, I'm Uh, not. It's an – It's an online resource. I think there's an annual or monthly fee that you pay, but I don't think it's too bad. Um, And you can enter the names of all of your cookbooks and it indexes them. So that way when you're like, okay, I I didn't use the rest of this bunch of kale that I was meaning to and I have the rest of this goat cheese that I don't want to go bad, but I don't know how to pair these things together. You can search in there with an ingredient and all of the recipes that have those ingredients in your cookbooks will pop up. And so it's just, it's it's just a brilliant way. If you're someone that, that owns a lot of cookbooks, but often isn't actually cooking from them because you might not be doing a full meal plan every week yeah. you might discover re- recipes in the cookbooks you already own that you didn't even know were in there. And then it helps you use up what you already have. So I love doing that.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. As, as you said, as you mentioned that, I just Googled this. This sounds so cool listeners. This is called eat your books. And actually when we, um, as we're actually recording this in November, um, you know, we're getting gearing up for the holiday season. And I love to recommend that people gift experiences or like, sort of intangible items this seems like an amazing gift like to gift somebody a year of this like especially a co- like somebody who likes to cook like I'm gonna put this on my list because it's amazing and I'm also oh, one of
1: those that's so fun yeah Yeah. right gift yeah and I'm also yeah, one of those
0: people that. that um I love to buy cookbooks and you're right like it's just I the the like the likelihood of me remembering something out of a cookbook or like, Oh, let me just like sit here and browse it. It's just like really, um, it's just, it's just not there. (laughs) The likelihood is just not there. Uh, Totally. And
1: even if you were going to meal plan out of your cookbooks, it would be, it, it just feels nearly impossible to look through all the ones you want and flag the recipes you like, and then have them magically line up so that they're using the same core ingredients for that week or something. Oh you know, it's just like a lot of extra work on your end. So, so that, yeah, this really comes in handy and it makes me feel better about owning this giant bookshelf full of books because I'm actually putting them to use. And, and honestly, cooking other people's recipes is how I find inspiration for my yes. own recipes. You know, and so that's another way that you can get inspired and you might be trying a new, you know, a new technique or a new spice or and then you can lean into that and try something else with that. And um, that discovery in the kitchen is really exciting and how you learn a lot about yourself and, and what you like. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that was what I was just about to say. Like, not only are cookbooks, like, listeners, like, the, the certainly the old school, like, bound cookbooks that we're talking about right now, like, those, and I'm sure Grace knows all about this, they go through a process. Like, it is not just somebody writing a few recipes and throwing them up there. Like, they have to be tested. There's an editing process. Like, so all of the recipes that are going to be coming through some of these more traditional cookbooks, like, those are tested and vetted. So, like, You know, as long as you follow them, you're probably going to get the same type of outcome. And so I think that's really nice, especially if um, you're struggling, like trying to follow some of these like uh, video only recipes sometimes, because, um, you know, I I would imagine some of the creators, certainly not Grace, but some of the creators are maybe not as um experienced making some of these recipes. So sometimes they might I I'm thinking of a few in particular um with like salad dressings. Like I love to make salad dressings, but I think they do require a little bit of nuance, especially like understanding acid and all of that. And so I think sometimes when people boil it down into like a a, a video, it can be hard. You can get kind of lost and be like, I don't know if this actually works. So number one, cookbooks I, I think oh, really. can be just you know so useful from that perspective. Um, and then I liked what you mentioned about techniques because I think, um, whether we're, whether the quote unquote technique is like actually a substitution, like you just talked about, like, I hate mayonnaise and anytime anything calls for mayonnaise, I'm totally in there with like Greek yogurt, same thing. Like, I'm just like, it basically (laughs) is the same, like, like no, no mayonnaise for me. Um, or there might be a technique with how you prepare something. Um, I guess an example for this. Um, one that I could think of off the top of my head is I had an opportunity to take a cooking class in Italy a few years ago before COVID. Um, it was just literally an afternoon. It was an afternoon at like a, a grandmother's house, a Nona's house. It was amazing. And they taught us how to make fresh pasta, which admittedly I don't do a lot of right now, but they also <laughs> taught us how to make a really wonderful basic tomato sauce. And part of that was they actually boiled down the diced onions which I thought was so interesting and I had never seen done so basically instead of like if you if you've ever eaten sauces um that have onions in them and they're kind of like crunchy and you're like kind of ruins the sauce in my opinion I'm not I'm like a big texture person and so you know you could sit there and like really really stir fry up the onions so much that they, they, they get soft but from the this chef's perspective she was like look that's basically frying onions when you think about it. So she's like, what I like to do is I take my diced onions, I put them in a pan, I salt, I salt them. Um, and then I basically just cover them with water and it reduces, I just keep reducing the water down to what to, um, until the onions are translucent. And that has been such a mind blowing technique for me when I do onions and sauces now, like, and I, you know, it's one of those things where I never would have thought to do something like this. And it's because I was in this case, I was in person, but I also was just like learning from a professional. (laughs) So I love this idea. I love this idea of eat your books. I'm going to totally eat your books And the name. That's so funny.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, and that's an awesome example. It reminds me of the first time and part of why I love cross testing other people's recipes at some of my old jobs was for the same reason we talked about cooking out of cookbooks when I'm testing A coworker's recipe, and then I'm I'm kind of getting a inside look into their mind and their their tricks, and I learned so much. And one was about soaking your diced red or sliced, you know, red onions just in water while you're creating the rest of your salad. If you're eating them raw, and it takes a little bit of that raw edge and bitterness out of them. Oh, Um, interesting! It can just sit there while you do everything else, so it's not really taking up any extra time. Then you just drain them and toss them in, and and now I do that whenever I'm eating, you know, raw onions. And it just took one recipe for me to learn that. So there you go.
0: Uh, you know, and I guess onions are the are the uh, trendy thing for us to talk about today. No, I, I love onions. <laughs> yeah. I think I think most people We're love the, the flavor, right? Yeah, it, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. All about onions. Yeah, no, onions. I feel like people love the flavor of onions, but often the texture is a little bit weird. And that that that's it is for me. And you know, it, anyway, so. I digress a little bit, listeners, but I think overall the the (laughs) TLDR of what we're talking about is, you know, uh, cooking can be such a nice um, exercise in, you know, mindfulness and providing for yourself or your family and just like really being intentional about what you're eating. Um, And, you know, depending on where you live, like you may or may not have access to a lot of like really yummy places for takeout or restaurants or, or anything like that. So I think that, you know, cooking as long as we view it as something that's not necessarily like this like daily chore and slog, I mean, and of course you're going to have days like that. It's not like every day you wake up like a snow white, you know, with the birds singing and yeah, you know, just make everything from scratch today. Like, no, 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 that's, that's not going to happen. But as long as we're, you know, just thinking about it in terms of a sort of a fun activity and one that we can use to be conscious consumers as that is really the, the, uh, you know, the theme of this podcast, I think, we're going to be set up really well um grace like wondering like if you have any more sort of like closing thoughts or tips or tricks you wanted to share with with the audience um it could really be anything i mean hey it's a oh, open mic session oh i know i'm like well do i have anything you else on you to say about onions? <laughs> onions. <laughs> yes onions onions please <laughs>
1: Um, one thing that's really, actually, this does kind of do with onions, but one thing that's <laughs> top of mind for me is, um, I'm kind of been on the storage beat for Epicurious where I do some freelance writing and I have learned so much about the best way to store different foods, how to know when foods are going bad. And, and I, it's not a very exciting topic, but I do think that if you, if you just take a minute to Google or if you're not sure the best way to store something, if you start doing that properly, then that's also going to extend the shelf life of your food. Um, you know, most herbs I learned do best in the fridge, but basil actually lasts longer on the countertop. So now my basil plant, you know, has an extra week or two and I'm not throwing that away uh a watermelon if you have one the ideal temperature is actually in a cooler um which frees up fr- space in your fridge so it's interesting sort of so, so little things like that um if you notice something tends to go bad really quickly just take a second and and look it up because maybe there's a there's a, a smarter way to be storing it and Absolutely. get a little more life out of it
0: No, we talk about that all the time on our, you know, on our social channels and there's so many different, yeah, tips and tricks and just learning a few of those, I think could be so beneficial, right?
1: Absolutely. And then the only other thing I would say, just because I had written this in some pre-show notes about kind of things I'm excited about in the sustainable food movement right now, um... So I, if that's okay, I Oh yes, talk about that's always thing.
0: my that's always my question at the end. So you're 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 uh, preempting that. So please go ahead. <laughs> I love it. Oh, sorry. didn't, didn't No, to take it no, no uh, not at all. Go
1: ahead. So I think it is so exciting to see food brands starting to sell and repurpose the less perfect items rather than them ending up in the landfill. So, so obviously there's the big companies like Imperfect Foods and Misfits Market to save sort of the ugly produce that farmers can't sell. But um, there's also some smaller companies doing really cool things. And I've been doing a little bit of work with this company called Rancho Meloduco Date Farm. Um, And they, they sell these incredible dates, but they can be, you know, a little bit on the pricier side. Well, now they're selling slightly imperfect dates um, at a lower price point at Walmart. And, you know, those are ones that the the f- would have been rejected um, by traditional buyers. Uh, you know, the, the small farmers wouldn't have been able to sell those. Um and honestly, I eat them and I can't tell a difference. And this isn't like a plug for them, I just genuinely am obsessed with them. So I think it's really cool to see different companies that are getting creative with that because at the end of the day, especially with things that we're gonna be chopping and cooking, Oh, it doesn't matter what it looks like, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to see we're not tossing the imperfect stuff.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I love, there's so many cool things to that point as well, like happening in the upcycled food space, which is, you know, uh, when brands or companies say, look, I'm going to use the waste byproduct of, you know, like apple peels or whatever. I mean, that, that's, that's dumb. I don't know if I know of a lot of people using apple peels, but you know, you get what I'm saying. And I think, um. Totally. Yes. That that is just something that's really exciting too, because it's it is pretty mind-blowing to me to think about how much waste we as a I guess like a industrialized society have been okay with up until this point. And it's not super fair to pin that on the consumer because the consumer, nine times out of ten, has zero idea what's going on as it relates to the production of the food product or whatever we're talking about. But um, I just think previously it was like a cost cutting. I mean, I'm going to guess that's probably where it came from. It probably didn't make a whole lot of financial sense to, um, you know, figure out places to put the waste back into, um, you know, production stream. However, now that consumers are saying, hey, this is cool. We want to buy this stuff. That's creating more and more of a a push for companies to do this. And I mean, honestly, anytime you're going to make something out of, waste you are going to save money maybe previously you wouldn't have made money with that process but i'm just really glad to know that um this consumer movement that we're all of a part of like is is really making a difference so um yeah i totally hear you on the different like just seeing this uh this type of um you know excitement enter the mainstream is, is really cool Uh, Well, Grace, like this has been so fun. We'd love to have you back on and talk about a few more recipes from time to time, because like I said, this is going to be a series. We'll talk to a few other creators, et cetera, but um, I've really enjoyed talking with you and listeners. What we're going to do is we'll include links to everything in our show notes. Um, Don't forget about eat your books. Oh, and the other one I'd actually mentioned to listeners, it's called plan to eat. That's another, um, app that I use to help with meal planning. It's its uh, recipe collections, et cetera. That's another go-to. But Grace, thank you so much for joining us. Oh,
1: absolutely. Thank you for having
0: me. I'd love to come back because I definitely feel like we could keep going. So yeah. uh,
1: it's been really fun.
0: joining us on another episode of Good Together. To get show notes and more, head to brightly.eco slash podcast. Finally, don't forget to join in on the conversation with us on social media. You'll find us on almost everything at brightly.eco. Don't forget, we're all on this journey together, so have fun putting the planet first and stay
1: curious.